glory in the cross today. Musicians, thank you guys. Already helped us. We're good, you know. Um, Romans 3, 21, there's no, there's no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this is God's word Um, over the course of the next five weeks or over five weeks. We're looking at um, the apostolic witness. What did Jesus teach for 40 days after he rose from the dead? And what has been handed down to us in Tonkawa in 2022? And for the first two weeks, we saw Jesus didn't teach them anything new. Okay, but the next part of the witness, the meaning of the cross, what's going on in the cross? Why did this guy die? Why was he crucified? That part was new to them. Okay, week one and two is just they're just like, yep, got it. Okay, week this part um, was not the Messiah dying and dying in a shameful, shameful way was shocking, especially with all of the, the messianic fervor surrounding Jesus. At the time, okay, in the first century, in that part of the world, there is nothing bigger than Jesus the Messiah, okay? I mean, he is literally Jesus Christ superstar at this moment in history. Everybody knows um, who he is, and we know that because they they welcome him with, with palm branches, right? He comes in, and they say, hey, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David laying down branches. Hosanna, they believe him to be the Messiah. The reason they're laying down branches. They believe him to be Israel's king who's going to do the day of the Lord bit, kick out Rome and bless all the nations, inaugurating the kingdom of God. Luke 19, 11, they expect the kingdom to appear immediately. So Jesus has to tell them a parable. This is, well, Jesus does talk to them about the cross. The disciples say, what? That's, that's never going to happen. Jesus, that, that's crazy talk. Jesus shows up Um, to the two guys post-resurrection on the Emmaus Road, and they're just confused about his death, okay? They they don't understand it. I don't know if he's wearing a disguise or whatever. He comes up, says, why do you guys look sad? And they say, how have you not heard about this? Do you live under a rock, okay? This guy, Jesus Messiah, was attested to by signs and miracles. He taught with authority. We thought he would be the one to redeem Israel, but they just crucified him. So we're not really sure what to do. Now, they're, they're confused, okay? So the point is that the, the day of the Lord, the restoration of all things, this messianic hope, a restoration of Jerusalem, a restoration of, of Israel, those ideas are in that left side of your Bible in big flashing neon lights, okay? If you start in Genesis and read to Malachi or, or Second Chronicles, however your Bible is ordered there, all that stuff's there, And it's loud and and big, and every Jew knows all of this stuff. This is what they're expecting to do. Everyone's well acquainted with them. But the death of the Messiah, well, it's in there, okay? It's in the law, it's in the prophets. In God's wisdom, it's veiled, and it's hidden. And therefore, it had to be explained to them, okay? It had to be received by them. And this is a point that I've, you know, if you grow up in the U.S. of A., especially this part, you don't think about this, okay? Because you're taught, praise God, you're taught from, you know, in the womb that gods of loves die on crosses. 
right? That's just normal to you, how, how this whole thing's work. Not how it was to them. They had to be taught this and, and received this. So Galatians 1, Paul says, The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? So he's not mocking, he's not, he's not being arrogant, he's just stating a fact. He says, look, you guys heard the gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he's actually the Messiah who's gonna do the bit. You guys heard this from so-and-so. I heard it in the desert from a revelation from Jesus himself, okay? He taught me that his death was a sacrifice for sins, just as the scriptures say. I mean, that's Paul's story, right? He, he's, he's blinded, then he goes out into the desert and receives this, this revelation. And just so you think, so you don't think that Paul is some wacko. Though Paul's for sure a wacko, okay? <laughs> Schizo, I think. You read his letter. What are you talking about? He goes, he gets this revelation from Jesus Christ, and then he doesn't, you know, write his book or, or go on YouTube or whatever. He goes to Jerusalem to the apostles who saw Jesus and says, hey, this is what I received. What did you guys receive? And they go, yeah, pretty much that. Okay, so my point is it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And what did Paul receive? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So it's in there, okay? It's, it's in the Tanakh, but it's veiled. And Jesus says, my death was according to the scriptures. My death was according to the law and the prophets. Then verse five, he appeared to Kepha and then to the 12, and he taught them the same thing. What? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appears to 500 brothers at one time. Then he appears to James, then to all the apostles, right? This is what we're talking about in the apostolic witness. What did the risen Lord give to these Guys, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, okay? So Jesus rises from the dead and then spends 40 days explaining to them what the cross means, what happened there. You know what I mean? Like if, this, I've used this example before, like if my, if my grandpa, you know, Lord forbid, dies in a car wreck, I don't go around telling people that atoned for the sins of Narden. You know what I mean? Though he's a righteous man who, you know, dies, no one says, yeah, by the way, your sins are now covered because of Daryl. That doesn't happen. So it's a very big thing that the disciples are saying. The death of Jesus covers sins. The death of Jesus provides forgiveness for sins. He appeared, again, appears to those guys on the road. And what's he teach them? Luke 24, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. And then he says, was it not necessary, based on what the prophets had spoken, is it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things, the cross, and then enter into his glory, the assumed Jewish eschatology and the renewal of all things? Shouldn't, wasn't it necessary, guys, read the Bible, that he should suffer first and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scripture, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, okay? So as Jesus is teaching these two guys on the road all the things, all the things he's teaching, it's not the glory, Okay, it, it's the cross. They, they know the glory. There's no Jew in the first century who's like, man, where is history going? 
You know, how's, how's this all work out and end? They know that. They, they, they know Isaiah 40 to 66, the resurrection of the body, the restoration of all things, the restoration of Jerusalem, the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the water covers the sea. They know that. All the things Jesus has to explain to them is the cross. They know the glory. They didn't know the cross. Isaiah 53 was apparently veiled to them. And so Jesus, and I know that's a, that seems like a small point, but the risen Lord shows up and says, all of this, here's what it means. And now, in 2,000 years later, we're like, duh. You know what I mean? <laughs> but for them, it was like, oh, okay, I'm good now. Now I get it. Now, now we go. So therefore, based on what is handed down uh, from Acts and the letters, right, what we call our New Testament, we can surmise that over those, the course of those 40 days of appearing to James and Peter and 500 brothers and finally to Paul, that Jesus taught that his suffering was a sacrificial act given by God for the forgiveness of sin. So big picture, what's the cross about? The cross is interpreted by the apostles substitutionally and sacrificially, Okay. And once Jesus explains this to them, it doesn't take a long time, right? It it just clicks. For for Jews in the first century with Leviticus in their blood, this just makes sense. Once Jesus says it, they're like, oh, duh, we're good now. We we get it because what's going on? I know we're past Leviticus in our Bible in a year plan, so we'll hit it again next February. What's going on in the Levitical sacrifices? Like, what's the purpose? Leviticus 5, 6, it was to make atonement on your behalf for your sin, right? Big picture what's going on in in Leviticus. Within that that system, a sacrifice is made on your behalf. Therefore, it's seen as substitutionary, right? Who deserves death for their sin? You do. Who's going to die instead? This goat. Or if you're poor, these doves, Right? Like, this is how it works. And, and then to do it, you lay hands on it, Leviticus 1.4, you confess your sins, and by faith, you're forgiven. Okay, the thing actually works. And so when this is done, the, the person's sins are taken away, and their sin is actually forgiven. God accounts this person now as acquitted, as, as righteous, Leviticus 4.26. In this way, the priest will make atonement, Leviticus 4, for the leader's sins, and he will actually be forgiven. Okay, like in the system that God gives, they're actually being forgiven. And so the Israelites don't view what's happening in Leviticus as as some big burden. Right. That's how it's taught now is that, oh, I cannot believe God gave them this system to be forgiven. That's not what's going on. They're thrilled that God is going to account their sin to a goat. That's awesome. Not going to be accounted to them. They can actually be forgiven. And and the reason they rejoice in this is because it's clear to them, maybe not as clear to us, that the whole thing, okay, the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifices, the whole bit is a gift. It's a gift. They don't bring anything to it except a repentant heart because in the system, God provides both the sacrificial system, right? Moses comes down from Sinai with this, which... Lightning, thunder, fire, here's how you sacrifice doves, right? (laughs) He provides the system and God provides the sacrifices. God provides the blood. It's not forgiveness by works. It's forgiveness by gift, okay? 
He wants his people to have a mechanism, to have a way to be forgiven. Because back to week one, what is God's heart? He wants to dwell with man. He wants to be on the earth with him. So Leviticus 17, 11, I have given it for you, right? Talking about the whole bit. I have given it for you on the altar. Why? To make atonement for your souls, okay? So who provides the offerings? God does, right? Who makes animals be born and live? Can't, who, who does that? Who's in charge? <laughs> God does. Who provides the offering? God does. And so with this sacrificial system in mind, with Leviticus in mind, you see how it clicks for the Jewish apostles. And you see why thousands and thousands of Jews in the first century drop everything and pledge their lives unto death to follow their crucified and their risen Messiah. Because, oh, Leviticus, it just makes sense. So you start to read through the apostles and, and the witness they've given us, Ephesians 5, 2, Paul says Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Leviticus, Peter says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, sacrificial language from Leviticus. John says, Christ laid down his life for us. Instead of us, we have Christ. And, and they're just saying what Jesus said, okay? Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of your sins. Does that make sense? Meryl, where's Meryl? I'm trying to talk slower this week. How am I doing? We're good? Okay. All right. Jesus makes <laughs> three basic claims about his, his blood. Just, just here. The blood of the Messiah was shed as a sacrifice on behalf of others for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? This is what do dominates the teaching of Jesus for those 40 days. And it, and it frames like the big picture of what the cross means. Okay? So if you guys, you know, get into reading or whatever, there's thousands and thousands and millions of pages on what the cross is. And Jesus does it in one sentence. This is the blood of my covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's write 85 billion systematic theologies saying that, right? That, that's what's going on. So this is what he's teaching. And then under this big banner of, of the cross is substitutional and, and sacrificial, there's four sort of subcategories that the apostles place under it, okay? And reconciliation, propitiation, justification, and redemption. Like, we'll, we'll work, work through those, okay? And we just actually have time for three of those. But all of these categories, they're not, and, and the cross itself, they're not just kind of aimed at nowhere, okay? The cross and how they interpret it and what's been handed down to us, the cross is doing something for humans aimed at the day of the Lord, Okay? Like there, there's a purpose behind it. It's not just like a cross for whatever. Okay? A cross so we have warm fuzzies when we sing those awesome songs. Though, again, I'm pro warm fuzzies, all for it, all about it. It's not just like a cross for my shame, just like a cross for my purpose, right? That's the big thing right now. It's purpose. Gotta have your purpose. No, you don't, guys. I mean, that's good. I just want you to inherit eternal life and not get thrown into a lake of fire. How's that for a purpose? Right? The, the cross is aimed at the day of the Lord. It is unto something, okay? The cross has an aim, and it has a goal called the day of the Lord. And the first goal of the cross is that it reconciles humans to God 
before the day of the Lord. Okay, this is what it is doing in light of the day. So 2 Corinthians 5, Paul lays it out under the banner of the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, shorthand for the day of the Lord. In light of that day of judgment, Paul declares that one has died for all. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Okay, the judgment's coming. You need reconciled for that day. Here's what the cross is doing. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's aimed. Colossians 1, Paul again, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled, how? In his body of flesh by his death, like Leviticus, ding, 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 ding. That's what's going on. In order, why? So here, again, why? What's the goal? In order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. When will you, human being, be presented before him? On that day, right? The, the, the judgment seat. When you are presented before And so, that's clear to Paul. <laughs> when you are presented before him, how do you want to be found? How about holy, blameless, and above reproach? That sounds good. I, sign me up for that. Like, that, that's what's, what's going on. You're, so your sin... Our sin puts alienation between you and God. And the cross, Paul says, it provides reconciliation. The substitutional sacrifice is doing something, reconciling sinful humans to God on the day of the Lord. That make sense? Easy, okay? Paul says a lot of like, what are you talking about stuff? And then some stuff is just easy. And we'll hang out with that stuff, okay? We'll, We'll do that. The second category is propitiation before the day of the Lord, okay? Now, we talk about reconciliation in normal, everyday language. We don't, Joe, when was the last time in a normal conversation, at cattle sale, you're like, yep, propitiation. doesn't happen. You don't do that. Okay, it, it's a, it's, but it's a Bible word, so we want to talk about it. It just means to put away anger. Okay, someone's got anger. If it's propitiated, the anger is taken away, which assumes what? The anger of the day of the Lord. All right, Contrast to, contrary to smiley guy and smiley gal on the, the Christian bookshelf, God is angry, okay? And, and why is he angry? Well, for a lot of the same reasons that you're angry when you turn on the news, okay? You, you, we've seen mass graves of children this week. And if you're like, whatever, you know, next thing, and you're not angry, that's an issue with you. God's angry at those same things. And God is mostly angry because God, God is love, Okay, his anger, his love drives him to anger. Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. Every day, according to the psalmist, God is full of rage. And the reason he is, is because God is love. God loves the world and the humans in it. And so he is rightfully filled with rage. When humans destroy one another through greed or through anger or through lust, God is, is filled with fury. And therefore, at the day of the Lord, when his patience and his forbearance are finished and, he, he, and he's allowed the depths of human depravity to reach his height, he will finally take vengeance on them. Okay? This is, this is the timeline. Okay? Humanity is going to go on in their sins and God is going to come and punish. Nahum 1 2, the Lord is avenging and wrathful. He keeps wrath for his enemies. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. 
Okay? He's got real anger going on over what man does to each other, over what man does to God. And so to be saved on that day, sinners, right? To be saved on that day, for God to act propitiously towards humanity, he provides a sacrifice in his son. 1 John 4.10, God loved us, there's the driver, and sent his son, there's the gift, to be a propitiation, there's the sacrifice for our sins, for instead of us. And as a result, it's still aimed at the day of the Lord. 1 John 4.10, loved us, sent his son to be a propitiation. 1 John 4.17, why? So we have confidence for the day of judgment, right? My hope, my confidence for the day is not based on Josh. It's based on God sending his son as a propitiation for my sins. I have confidence. It's aimed at somewhere. Okay, the cross, I'm not denying the cross does all sorts of awesome things for us right now, but for the apostles, their driver is the day of the Lord. If you want to have confidence on that day, you need to know God loved you, sent his son to be a propitiation for your sins. So your sin puts you in the crosshairs of divine anger, and the cross provides propitiation. The cross puts away the wrath of God towards you, Okay. And that little section right there would just get you kicked out of a lot of seminaries, a lot of churches. God's not wrathful. God's not angry. That's a perversion of the cross. Brother, no. Read your Bible. Believe your, you know what it says, believe it. So the cross provides reconciliation before God, before the day of the Lord. It provides propitiation before God, before the day of the Lord. And third, the one that we're most familiar with is, as Children of, of the Reformation, the cross provides justification before the day of the Lord. So if someone is justified, they're declared innocent, right? It's a legal word. And again, seminaries want to tell you it's not a legal word. Paul's doing something else there. Brother, no, it's a legal word. Paul's talking about a courtroom. So again, in context to the Lord's day, right, his day of judgment, when he rids the earth of wickedness, God will judge a man or judge the world by the man he has appointed, right? Last week, this is where history is going. And he is a righteous judge, 2 Timothy 4a. So at the day of wrath, at Romans 2, 5, at the day of wrath, God's righteous judgment will be revealed, parentheses, by the man he has appointed. So to be justified on that day, it's a legal reality where the righteous judge that God has appointed to judge the living and the dead, whereby his verdict is either innocent or guilty, all right? And so consider your life. How's that day work out for you right now? Had you not known this glorious, wonderful news, how's that day work out for you? Not great, okay? Guilty. Guilty, 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 every single one of that. And so if that is you, which it is, I have good news. Our opening text, Romans 3, 21, there's no distinction. All have sinned, okay? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the glory of God is not whatever shining light, you know, the, what's coming through the stained glass is not the glory of God, all right? The glory of God is just a catchphrase for the Jewish hopes of the age to come. Glory of God is the resurrection of the dead, you know, world without end. So you know, everyone's fallen short of that, 
Okay, No one deserves to inherit eternal life based on how they have lived. But Paul says they are justified, all those who are uh, fall short, all those who sin and fall short of glory. They are justified by his grace as a gift. Do you hear Leviticus 17? I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your soul. I'm providing the whole bit for you. Justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Hallelujah. Okay, the point is this, because of man's depravity, which we all share, okay, all of us, that's like the, one of the most glorious things, I don't know if it's glorious, I'd prefer we weren't all sinners, yet we are, um, of, of, of the gospel and the cross, is everyone in here is on the same playing field. Okay, there, there's no caste system, there's no tax, different tax bracket thing here, like we are all guilty before God. We all, all of us, man's depravity and sin that we all share, and because of the love and the holiness of God, this age ends, okay? In a real day of judgment with a real appointed judge who will mete out real punishment to real people forever, okay? Like his verdict is final, therefore, okay, if this is true, and I think that it is, Okay, I'm staking my entire life on this stuff being true. Therefore, if this is true, the only thing, the only thing that should matter to you right now is that on that day, you are counted as innocent and the judge looks at you and says justified. That is the only thing that matters, okay? I know we got, you know, a couple weeks ago, we're talking about cares this age and whatever, whatever, whatever. Guys, you can trash all that, throw it in the garbage. This is the only thing that matters, is that at the day of the Lord, the judge looks at you and says innocent. It's all that matters, okay? Throw out everything else. Simplify your life in this way, in thinking and believing and ordering your life that this is all that matters, okay? It's just the only thing. It's the only thing, okay? Whatever game you've got running right now, it's all hot garbage if you get a guilty on that day. It just doesn't matter. Okay, your sin marks you guilty before God and the cross provides justification for you on that day. It's it's the only thing that matters. Why would we talk about anything else? It's the only thing that matters. And so this message, as you you read through the rest of the narrative of, of the first century of the New Testament, this is the message that just erupts from the apostles, okay? So if you sat down and read Acts 1 and read all the way to Acts 28, you would just hear this over and over and over and over. Acts 10, you know the message (coughs) that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, right? Reconciliation. You've heard this message. He commanded us, the apostles, to preach to the people and to testify. And to what are the apostles testifying? What are they saying when they stand up to preach? What are they talking about? What are they announcing? It's that he, Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, right? So God has given all authority in heaven and on earth to one man, okay? Praise God, it's none of us. Every other person goes into the dirt. This guy comes up out of the dirt and says, this is my guy. This is my anointed one. So God has said one man can say to all men, guilty or innocent, and 
all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him, okay, who believes in his cross as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name, okay? The apostolic message, the witness, it's just twofold, okay? It's really, really easy. If you get this and burn it on your heart, you're good, okay? You, you, you do need disciples, but you don't. I mean, you, you get this, you've got it. The day of the Lord and the coming judgment on sin. You got that? Okay, God appointed one man as judge of living in the dead. You got that? Okay, and two, the means of forgiveness through Jesus' blood for that day, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. You got that? You're good. You can follow Jesus faithfully till you die or until the day of the Lord, if you've got that. Okay, God has given all authority and all power to judge the earth on the day of the Lord to Jesus, and God has ordained the sacrificial death of Jesus as the means of escaping divine judgment on the day. You got that? You're good. You're good. That, that's it. Hebrews 9, 28 gives us both of these. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Maranatha, like that's what we're, he's going to appear a second time not to deal with sin. He's not coming to die on the cross again, right? I'm done with that. I did that, okay? He's coming not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the witness. Jesus' death on a cross is understood by the apostles as a perfect, God-approved, and even God-appointed sacrifice, Okay? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Peter says this was done. And it is on this basis that people from both Israel and the nations, you all, may be reconciled to God and have God's anger turned away from us and be forgiven our sins and be spared judgment in the day of wrath. That's very good news. And again, it's, that's all that matters. It's all that matters. The cross is a gift, okay? The blood is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. Okay. Cindy, are, are you okay? You're good? Okay. I don't, I just want to check. You're good. Okay. So how does it work? Right? What's, the, what's God's mechanism for this? Okay. Well, if you will send me $99.99, you can get it in my book, you know. All right. How does this work? Okay, I want to be reconciled to God. I want his anger turned away from me. I want a not guilty verdict when he comes in fire. Okay, how does it work? Paul tells us, our opening text, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. They're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. How does it work? To be received how? By faith. Where is Sue true when I need her? She would go, faith, no matter what question it was. And she's generally right. You know? <laughs> by faith, faith, ongoing trust in God's promise. This is the only means by which we escape divine judgment and inherit eternal life. Romans 10, for with the heart one believes. Okay? And this doesn't mean just think good thoughts. But with the heart one trusts and relies upon. With the heart we count God as trustworthy and we are justified. And with the mouth... One confesses. That's sacrificial language, right? Put your hand on the animal, confess your sin, and be saved, parentheses, at the day of the Lord. With the heart, one believes. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And so this is not new. Again, 
It's not new. This, this pattern of trust and reliance and faith runs all the way through the Bible. So when the apostles want to talk about faith, well, who do they talk about? Abraham, right? His entire life is faith. The Passover, Exodus 12. Do you, did anyone watch Charlton Heston this weekend? It was on. There we go. It was on. All, all the hours of it, okay? The Passover in Exodus 12. What happens? Hey, put this... Cook your meal this way. Put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost and you'll survive the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord to the people of Israel. And you hear that and you'd go, really? That's how, that's how this is going to work? <coughs> okay, I trust God. I have faith in God. I rely on God. I count God's words as trustworthy. So what am I going to do? I'm going to cook my bread this way and put blood on my door and just... Okay, you know, checking your sundial. Okay. The Levitical system is, is, is forgiveness by faith. Confess your sin, lay your hands on the animal, hand it over to the priest, and your sins won't be counted against you. Moses comes down from Sinai with this and tells you this. You go, really? Okay. Well, you always been trustworthy so far. He said he would deliver us from Egypt, and he did it. So if he said, this is how he's going to account righteousness to me, I guess I'll go get a goat or some doves. And I guess this is how I'm going to be forgiven. In the sacrifice, they're trusting that God actually accounted their sin to the animal and that their sins are actually forgiven. Does it make sense? Passover's by faith. The Levitical system is by faith. The biting snakes in, in Numbers 21. Okay, if you know this story. The people are being horrible as per usual. And God sends fiery serpents out of the ground to bite them. Okay, snakes are biting them and people are actually dying. Like, this is a horrific scene in the scripture. And the Lord says, if they'll look at the staff <coughs> in Moses' hand, just look at it you'll actually be healed from the snake's poison and you'll, you'll stop dying. You go, really? Okay, so what does the person of faith do? What does the person who, who trusts God do? What does the person who relies on God do? What does the person who counts God's words as trustworthy do? You look at the stinking snake, right? Like this, this is how it, it works. And this is the example that John uses when talking about faith in the Messiah. Faith in Jesus, to make the same point, John 3, Moses was li- as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of God must be lifted up, parentheses, on a cross, that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their trust in him, whoever relies on his words and counts them as trustworthy, he may have eternal life. It's the same mechanism from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of the book. Faith is trusting in and relying on the words of God. That if God says, this is how I'm going to save, this is how I'm going to count innocent, this is how I'm going to reconcile, you believe it and you give your life to it. Okay? Like this is what's going on. And and, and faith in the scripture is not some one-off event. Okay? It's not I walked down the aisle one time and sincerely believed this thing one time. Faith in the scriptures is ongoing, okay? It's, it, it's, it, the language Paul gives us is a race. You've got to run that thing from start to finish. Colossians 1, he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him <coughs> holy and blameless beyond reproach, if indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly 
established and steadfast, not moved from the hope of the gospel that you heard, okay? So you don't put, your, you don't put blood on the doorpost and then go frolic in the Nile before midnight. That guy dies. That guy dies. His firstborn dies as well. You don't look at Moses' staff once and then go back to trying to tend your own wounds. That guy dies. He bears his guilt and he dies. You don't look at the cross of Jesus one time. Repent one time and then live however you want. Hopefully, guys, that sounds insane to you. Okay? You might have heard that when you were little. Hopefully now as adults who've been trying to follow Jesus for decades, hopefully that sounds like insanity to you. And hopefully that sounds like, oh, that's a good way to end up in a lake of fire to you. No, you put your blood on the doorpost and you stay in there all night. You look at the serpent and you, and you look and look and look and look and look and look until the snakes are gone. You look at the cross of Christ, the Son of Man, lifted up, drawing all men to himself. And you look 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 until the skies open, fire rains down, and you are saved. This is what's going on in the scripture. This is what's going on. In the cross, if we go on sinning deliberately, Hebrews 10, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, Leviticus 5. But there's a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Okay, so today on, Robert, if you come help us, please, thank you. Today on on Palm Sunday, a day that the, the, the global church looks at the cross, it's a real simple message. Believe in the cross Give yourself to the cross and, and remember, blood on your doorpost will actually save. Okay? A slaughtered lamb will actually bear sin. Looking at Moses' staff will actually heal. And believing in Jesus' sacrifice will actually rescue from the wrath to come. It's easy. It's simple. Simple to understand, easy to understand, hard to give your life to. Okay? So let's stand. I want to pray that we give our lives to it. That we have the inward witness of the Spirit to keep us on the path. So, Father, we come and we ask, God, for strength. God, we come and we ask for endurance. God, to put blood on our door and stay in the house. God, for endurance that even with all all the other snakes around, other people going down, the, the pain, the biting, God, we ask, God, for endurance and perseverance to keep looking at Moses' staff lifted up. And God, I ask you, God, for our church that we would lean into, we would believe in, we would trust and rely only upon the cross, God. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. This is is what we want. And so God, we ask you for the Spirit's help. I ask God that you would send the Spirit now to confirm this. It's true. These things are true. That Jesus really did die for sins as a substitution, as a sacrifice, as a propitiation, as a reconciliation. So if you've never believed these things, if you've believed there's some other way that you could be uh, saved at the Lord's day, um, just know you're wrong. (laughs) You're absolutely wrong. And that's very dangerous and you can, if you want to know what it means to repent and trust in Jesus and give your life to this, you can talk to a member of our church if you're sitting next to them, or you can talk to me or any of our elders who are going to be up here in a second. But 
It would be incredibly stupid to leave here and, and not have given your life over to Jesus, submitting to him, bowing the knee. Okay? In Jesus' name, amen. So our elders are going to be um, at the front now for prayer. You pray in response to this um, or, or for anything else. But this time of our service is, is for prayer. So let's pray.